Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. I have this ambitious desire for what I want to do with my business, but then I also look at my life and my values. And, you know, I'm a mom of two young kids, <laughs> like I'm caring for a home. And that means that my capacity for business doesn't always look like what I want it to be. And honoring that this last year has actually felt like so spacious and good. And I feel like I've like leaned back into my business. And what's interesting is I've like noticed more expansion. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we explore life through the lens of somatics. I'm Luis Mojica, a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety in themselves. Your turn to learn begins now. Welcome, everybody. Uh, today, we have a special little episode about our embodied practitioner uh, slow group, which is something I designed at the beginning of 2023. I had decided to stop being in private practice and wanted to go into group practice. And so many practitioners over the last three years have been asking Camille and Marika and I, when are you going to do a group just for entrepreneurs to learn how to somaticize their business? And I thought, what a great idea. So we put the call out. We wanted 20 people. We got like 180 responses and we went through them all. And we made two groups because of the amount of people that wanted to do it. Two groups of 25. And so today we're joined with one from each group, actually, which is going to be interesting. And we spent nine months just slowly unpacking and unfolding uh, what we've been taught, what we've internalized, what we were 
let's say, um, overwhelmed by when it comes to our businesses and how we are supposed to represent or present ourselves to the world and what it was like to build a business or let a business unfold from our capacity instead of just from our desires. And it was a really power for me, a super powerful nine months. I learned so much and changed so much in my own business just from teaching it to others and watching others transform. So I, I can't wait to get into the topics today and just get more information from everybody here. Uh, I'm joined by Camille. So if you don't know Camille, I'll let you introduce yourself. Go ahead, Camille. Hey everyone. Um, so Camille, community manager, co-teacher uh, here at HLM. Um, and I was uh, assisting Luis in these uh, sessions with the practitioners, which was also really supportive for my own journey as I was transitioning out of a decade and a half in corporate space and now kind of doing my own thing. Janelle. Hello. I'm Janelle Flores Bolte, and I am I'm a lot of things. Um, I, I guess one of the the things that I do most with folks is I work with ancestral trauma and intergenerational trauma and healing. Um, I'm a fourth generation medicine woman, and um, I also have a side gig where I'm on a research team and I work with vets um, who have PTSD and mild traumatic brain injuries. And I'm a mama. What's the medicine lineage? He's at fourth generation. Yeah. So my grandmother, uh, my great grandmother was a curandera and she was from San Luis Potosí before she came to, which is in Mexico. And then my grandmother um, took on the helm, did peyote ceremonies in the backyard. And I was not alive for that, unfortunately. And then uh, my aunt is Carmen Redhawk Caswell. She has passed on, um, but we've all passed on this lineage of working with the land and mm. listening to spirit. So I didn't know that about you. It makes so much sense now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. How about you, Rebecca? Um, so just like professionally, I'm I'm a coach and I specifically work with moms and I kind of have a somatic and holistic view of who the woman is, right? Because really it all stems from who you are in your body. And um, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> so I think I want to start by just, you know, for people listening, uh, let's begin just playing with this difference. My little cat's going to be making a couple appearances. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's think of the difference and explain the difference of people to people around capacity and desire as it relates to our businesses. Like, I just want to know where that went for you all, because I have been playing with that for the last four years alone. So to be in like a group with, you know, 25 different people and share that with them, and then get the feedback and like see the changes. Let's just start unpacking that together. What would that mean for you? Anyone that wants to begin? I can, I'm happy to start. Um, when I started the slow group, I will say, I, before I begin this, I want to say that there's something that one of the women in my group said last week that just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, if you're out there, she said, I deserve slow. And I thought that was so powerful because for all of us that are entrepreneurs, coaches, teachers, whatever it is that we're doing that brought us to this space, 
this idea that you could come into this practice and that you deserve slow, it just kind of blew my mind. I love that. I love that. So um, to, ba- to backtrack to your, to your question, um, capacity versus desire. You know this, Louise. I did less marketing in nine months with you that I've done in my whole career. I mean, I did, I think I posted like three times I did virtually nothing and it was exactly what I needed. And I said in our last call, I kept asking myself, you know, the acronym wait, like, why am I talking? I kept asking myself, you know, wait, WAIP, like, why am I posting? And the answer was always, "Eh, I don't know, because we're supposed to. So just sort of checking in with that allowed me to sort of to pause and not. And I'm going to stop there just in terms just that little that little bit in terms of capacity and desire. And I have one more question for you before we go to the next person. How did it affect you in your body to not market as much over the nine months? Like, what did that do for you? Yeah, I think once my head, once my head got out of the equation, and I listened to my body and I really listened to that, like, even I just did it just now. Did you hear that side? Like my body was like, oh, thank you, Janelle. Thank you. Thank you that we are going to just not. But the chatter, right? The chatter in my head was saying the, but what what will happen? You must, you must, you must. And so I did other things in the nine months. But I definitely, that was like a big relief to my body. My body did like a sigh. I remember that for my body, because when I was watching your body and other bodies sighing, I asked myself the same question, like, why am I posting? Like, what, what's, and I took two months off of Instagram, which was so fun, like in the middle of our marketing, <laughs> two months of marketing, I was teaching you all. So it was so fun to say, okay, let's see what that pause feels like. And ah, such a capacity was built for so many other things that I didn't realize were waiting for me. What about you, Rebecca? Like, where what was it like for you to now that we're on this piece, whether it's the marketing or just capacity in general? What do you want to share? I it's interesting. This piece has been one of like the most profound for me. And what I'm like giggling to myself because like coming on today, I had this desire to be here, but like as I was getting on, I'm like, I like I can still feel my heart rate really fast. But I, I feel this new ability to orient to like what builds my capacity. So even like just seeing you and Camille and like remembering our calls and just like feeling that safety of like being in that container. Um, But really that capacity is what led me to join the group is if I have the desire to hold space and to be a helper, to be a coach, to even just be building and holding a business. I need people who are holding me. I need a space where I'm not the one holding the container. I need a space where someone is seeing me and helping me tune back into my body and letting my body and myself and even just my desire be held by not just me. Um, And I really got to play with this topic a lot of recognizing that like, I have this ambitious desire for what I want to do with my business, but then I also look at my life and my values. And, you know, I'm a mom of two young kids, like I'm caring for a home. And that means that my capacity for business doesn't always look like what I want it to be. And 
honoring that this last year has actually felt like so spacious and good. And I feel like I've like leaned back into my business. And what's interesting is I've like noticed more expansion, um, more room for that desire to come in because I'm putting the capacity first instead of always just chasing that desire, no matter the cost. So whenever you all speak in this podcast, I'm going to take little moments to teach people what we're talking about who weren't with us for nine months. (laughs) So both of you were talking about capacity and desire, which is excellent. And I have a whole podcast navigating episode on it, navigating capacity and desire. Evan will probably put the link in the show notes. Capacity is your biology. It's what your body is capable of doing hour by hour, day by day, month by month. And when, when we're talking about capacity, we're talking about the body's ability to literally experience and even metabolize sensation. That's what we're talking about here. So when we're doing, let's say, desire is what we want, what we're wishing it would be, what our goal is, we want it to be like, all totally fine. Most of us as entrepreneurs have a desire and everything is fueled by the desire and there's very little relating to the capacity. And this is why so many entrepreneurs burn out regardless of how successful they are, how much money they make, how much money they don't make, they all burn out. All the ones I've worked with, I should say, that aren't also relating to their capacity. When you're relating to your capacity, you're noticing, okay, everything's happening the way I want or everything's not happening the way I want. But the question is, how's my body experiencing that? So when we get really successful and we grow and we achieve things, we rarely ask how my body is even experiencing the growth and success. We're just so mentally focused and overcoupled with growth being good that we don't know how we're actually feeling it in our bones. And that's why people that even get what they want eventually burn out or have a meltdown or a breakdown or even chronic illness because the body's saying, it's too much for me. You're not pausing enough and feeling me. So I wanted to bring that in. And I also wanted to just riff on that. that awareness of how you want your desires to be held by more than just you. That's a really beautiful statement. And something I brought to both your groups is that awareness, and, and you can relate to this in your bones, Janelle, is this history of medicine people the further back you go, the further back you go, especially into um, more indigenous culture, when it was just a smaller culture local to a place and their own customs, people's roles were just much simpler. So if you were a medicine person, that was your role. You weren't also building a house, paying the bills, raising all the kids. Like the Iowa scout of us, I always often think about how they're removed at a young age and they grow up with the other medicine people in the community. They don't take on the roles of becoming parents even. They, they're so removed from those tasks because they live in that middle world and they see things differently. So they're not expected to also be grounded and sane <laughs> the way we talk about sanity and, and like, you know, tend to the crops and make the clothing. And what's interesting about our modern experience as medicine people, as healers, as therapists, coaches, is we do that space holding, but then we don't have all the unfolding time from the space holding. We're space holding and then we're space holding for our kids then we're space holding for our partners, then we're paying the bills, then we're like going to the doctor's appointments, we're driving to the store to get groceries. There's so much else that these bodies have to do instead of just the work that we're you know here to do spiritually or physically. And so like when I say earlier, when I said sane, I'm talking about how there's the, let's say the one way the brains function, let's say a very analytical way, like what we would call a sanity. Brains like ours, bodies like ours don't function that way. 
a lot of people that get into this work get into it because they have ADHD, they have extreme trauma, they've gone through um, even strange disorders and what we would call disabilities. And through that, all this medicine emerges of how they can hold space and help people. So all of us here have found that. We're lucky we found our way to hold people and we're still living a modern life where we have to do all these other things. So I'm just bringing that in for people listening so you can understand when you're a practitioner, in the modern world, it tends to be a really lonely experience. And what I loved about these nine months, we're having this beautiful like village, this digital virtual village together of coming together and being like, oh, me too. Oh, I feel that too. I want to cry right now. Oh, I thought I was the only one. So I, I'm pivoting for a minute. I just want to kind of play with that piece of what it felt like. And I'll st actually start with Camille here, how it felt like for all of us to come into a space and start feeling what it was like for our desires and our capacities to be held by more than just us. What did that mean for you? Mm. I really, um, I really appreciated the space where it was practitioners holding practitioners, particularly for me this year in the wake of Khadijah's experience with the, the cardiac arrest and um, her recovery. And part of what I was experiencing in the immediate uh, time after her cardiac uh, arrest, four days where it was a bit touch and go, were these places in my bodies that were just yelling, oh, you are so full of shit. You do not have your shit together, but yet who are you to hold space for other people? You in, are in this moment are experiencing all of these ups and downs and you can't figure it out and da, 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 da. And it was just nice to be able to come into a space, people that I experienced and have witnessed their ability to hold space for others and then also have the vulnerability and, 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 you know, we often have much more compassion for other people than we do ourselves, we can witness in their, their own vulnerability, their desires, what they're experiencing, their doubts. And that does not mean that they don't, still don't have the ability to hold space for other people. Practitioners, healers do not have to be, cannot be perfect 100% of the time, but that is often what I find to be uh, an experience that I have, like, who am I to do this? And I can see that in other practitioners. I loved that as well. I loved witnessing that with people where even when they were working through something really painful or difficult in their lives, when they went into their space holder role, like there was no question. They lit up, they were able to, there's this thing called stage health when you're a performer, where you can be like completely sick and like fever, runny nose, can't move. And you get on stage and it all goes away as you're performing. And then you get off and you go right back to the way you felt. And part of it is the biology of adrenaline, but the other part of it is just the spirit of the medicine as it moves through you, I, I truly believe. What was it like for you to know that we're talking about this? I think one of the things that was so heartening was to come into a space and sometimes when you're doing this work, you tend to feel like you're in a bit of a silo and you come into this space and you're like, holy shit, everybody's feeling this way too. I'm not alone in feeling a variety of things. And we kind of, we joked because in the, in my group, we said, there's those, you know, there's clients that like are so frustrating and so annoying. And yet we love them. And knowing that it's okay to hold the paradox of being 
really kind of, you know, frustrated, but also deeply loving your client at the same time and it being okay. Like just hearing it's okay to hold that, to hold both, like, and to recognize, as Camille said, like to recognize my humanity, but also in that piece of like, there's also something underneath it that girds this relationship, which is this love. Because I don't know about y'all, but I fall in love a little bit with every single client that I have. So tapping into that, like, what's the through line that gets me to that piece? That was kind of mind blowing for me. It was just that we all feel these things and we can normalize it. We can say it. Like, I love that there is this like permission to kind of say the thing. So yeah, I love that. I so appreciate you saying that because I think of what it's like in our bodies to have this work we do is so relational, super intimate. I'm like you, I'm like in love with them all. And it's interesting that we don't have a place to take that. Like we're so alone in it, especially even with ethics and and the the licenses and how you have to protect um, confidentiality, right? And keep things private. There's very little places where you can go to a group of people where you trust to say, oh, can't stand this person, but I love them. Or, oh, my back hurts all day. Or, oh, this person has kept talking. I just feel so tired. It, you're just in that by yourself. So you take that to the television or you take that to the food you eat or you take that to, you know, whatever the autoregulator is. And so I, I appreciate you saying that because I really lit up seeing people come together, not even complaining, but just unfolding and holding that together, right? What about you, Rebecca? Do you want to add anything to that piece? Yeah. One of the things that was really profound for me in this space is one of my big struggles, you know, I'm four years into entrepreneurship and being a coach. And one of the things I would say, it's like probably a big overcoupling or fear in the beginning is how do I move into this positioning of helper, coach, leader, essentially without being idealized or pedestalized? Um, I've seen a lot of examples in leadership and even like in the social media realm, especially in coaches of this like picturesque version <laughs> of what your life looked like. And for me, that's never felt good in my body, in my business. And so there's always kind of been this, how do I create, how do I be in this role in this space while not losing my humanity, while staying very connected to who I am, not moving into this egotistical place, but also like not ignoring my like most basic human needs because my humanity is so big and I don't want to people please over that. I don't want to make it look picturesque. I don't want to make it this filtered version for my clients or my marketing but I think it's been very rare for me to find a leader or to find a group in a community where that's safe, where that's okay, where that's, where there's not only permission for that, but support on like, well, how the hell do you do that then? Cause I don't know, like, I, like I've been figuring it out as I go. And one of my biggest things for my business is I need people to teach me how to do this. I need someone who is watching me and saying, how are you? Cause I don't want to build, I don't want to be a helper and a coach sitting across from women, helping their lives while my body and my marriage or my motherhood burn at the stakes like that. I'm not willing to do that, but there's also this part of me that's like, okay, but how? And so being in this community 
that was a big thing for me is that like our humanity and our bodies and our capacity was central to everything, to the marketing, to the hours, to the like, and there wasn't this, I have to choose. There was this permission of like, I'm allowed to have this and it gets to be this evolving creature. And there, I don't, I just felt so much permission and space and that part of me and my business felt so, so supported in this group. Mm. I love that. As you're speaking, I'm hearing that one sentiment we were working with of, I'm not a product, I'm a person. And I, I would like to hear more from all of you around that. Like what, what if, if anything, like what died, what re, was reborn, what transformed in you from these nine months around that understanding that I'm not here to be a predictable product, I'm a person. So I'm here to, you, you're paying for the art of relationship. That's really what we're doing. The service is like me relating to you and showing you how it feels in your body to have like a safe connection with another person. Like that's the real service, not this product, not this distilled niche of a, of a thing, but it, it's just me. You're getting me. What was that like for all of you? Like where, how did that impact you? Where did that take you? Well, for me, one of the things that just really stood out throughout the course of the container was the 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 reoccurrence of the shoulds. So, so many of us have either, you know, gone through higher education or graduate school, undergrad, business school, or uh, taken a, a course on how, how, to, how to launch a course. All these things, like these are the rules you should follow. This is what a successful business should look like. This is what a successful practice looks like. This is how many times you should be posting um, a, a week. This is what, uh, this is how you should be marketing. This is how many clients you should see a week. So many shoulds. And when we couldn't meet those shoulds, rather than questioning the shoulds, we start questioning ourselves. Like, why can't I do it the right way, the way it's supposed to be done? Clearly this is a successful roadmap. And what I really appreciate about the container, what it, it supported us in beginning to question those things, not throw them out, but really beginning to question and say, what, what works for me and also what doesn't? And that experimentation of this is what it looks like for me. Like you were saying, I'm a person. And so here are quote unquote best best case uh, practices, but that's the amalgamation of so many people, but what works best for me and being able to pick and choose and experiment and then create what best supports you right now and knowing that that could change. Yeah, I love that Camille. Uh, for me, my days changed dramatically. So. I am, uh, as I said, I'm a mama of two. I'm also a widow. So Luis, you know this, but um, I'm a widow. So I am single parent running this business, supporting my kids. And I used to, I used to definitely run my business from a place of, of like, do, 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 worry, worry, worry. And so my days were packed. Like I would, I would, I would jam pack. And as a result of working with the group, my days look a little bit like this. See a client, go outside, put my feet in the grass, soak up some sun, come inside, eat a bowl of something yummy, nice and slow, and then maybe see another client. And then in between, stretch. Like, so there's like this, there's these built-in moments when I nurture myself, because at the end of the day, 
people come to me for the way that I am able to hold a space. It's not even what I'm saying, right? It's not even what we're saying. It's not even practices that I'm giving them or ceremonies that I think that they should do. It's it's none of that. It's really about coming with your whole self and holding that. And how can I do that if I'm not holding me, if I'm not taking care of me first? So I think for me, it definitely shifted that. And so one of the things I took off of my plate was, you know, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to post in between. I'm not going to try to think up clever things in between. I'm not going to try to market. And so a lot of things went by the wayside and a lot more nurturance came in. And that was made all the difference. I mean, you know, I wrote a book instead, like I decided, well, in my off time, I, I just started writing and I finished a book in nine, in the nine months that we were in the group. So, yeah. So, so inspiring to know. Yeah. There's something you're saying I wanted to go into something I really enjoyed teaching and learning in my own life is that the rate we charge isn't just for the hour you're with us or the time you're with us. It's like, you're paying for our lives. Literally you're paying for what we have to do to support our bodies, to have capacity to hold the space for you and with you. And I, I think it took me years to understand that in myself because I undercharged on purpose to make my work really accessible. Camille still thinks I'm undercharging. Camille thinks I'm undercharging for life. I'll never charge enough to make Camille happy. But is that right, Camille? Do you want to tell me? Yeah, I, never, I, don't, I don't deal in absolutes. I'm sure there is a scenario where you could be charging enough, but I don't see it in the foreseeable future. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm much better than I used to be, but I used to severely undercharge. And uh, my body didn't like that. My practice liked it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was packed with people. The people liked it. Like, it worked. But it didn't work for my body. Because what I started to learn was, we all played with this in the container. Like, what's the rate we need? Not even what we're getting. But, like, what rate do we need to actually give us the life we need to have capacity for this work? And that's that's how, like, when Rebecca was saying about the schedule and all these different things shifting, when you go into the capacity... We start to do everything from that. Just like Janelle's saying, the schedule gets built around your capacity. Like, what does my body need to do throughout the day to show up to these bodies in a really nurturing, deep way? How much do I have to make to be able to eat the food that helps my body feel good to have the capacity to do this? This is the uh, dilemma of the modern healer, of the modern coach, the modern practitioner, the modern space holder, is those needs aren't just met for you. We think of a village, those needs were met for those people. They could go to the mountain, to the cave for three months and vision and people brought them food and checked on them and like cleaned their space with them. Like we don't have that tending to in this culture. So our tending to is our rate. So I want to go into that a little bit with all of you and just see like, what what's your relationship to that? How, how does this work in the way we've done it with capacity? How has it changed or challenged your relationship to money and acceptance around around that piece? Anyone feel free to dive in. No, no, or, no order. Just go for well, it. You know, I love the money talk. Oh, <laughs> just because I, I, you know, I've had my own relationship with with money and a, a lot of overcouplings where I would yeah. allow for a lot of boundary violations for the sake of securing money in a stable way because that I 
supposedly was going to bring me safety and calm everything down. But yeah, I can never re really reach that point. Um, but what's been really interesting in this work is if I was still working from that tr traumatic, that trauma response as it related to money, I was going to be working from a scarcity mindset. That was, I was going to be scheduling clients back to back. I was going to offer rate. Oh, I can't afford it. That's okay. Okay. We can cut that in half. Don't worry. We can do that. <laughs> that was me. Yes. <laughs> You know, just just to make sure, because if, if I don't get people in the door, then I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to pay my bills. I'm going to be homeless. My kids won't eat. But what has been really helpful and can be counterintuitive in some ways is that setting boundaries with my time in terms of when I do and don't see clients, and setting boundaries with my rates, have just incredibly supported my capacity and my productivity, and I have a very viable practice and people that I'm able to support. Whereas, like you said, if I had been still bypassing my boundaries, mm -hmm. I was going to burn myself out. That would not have been sustainable. And I would have been in the same position that I was in, that I was in in the corporate space. It just still would have been in my own business. Um, so really building my capacity to say, oh, no, I can't see you then. Mm -hmm. But here's when I'm available or building my capacity to say, I totally understand you don't have financial capacity. Here's some resources you may want to check out or some other practitioners that may be within your financial capacity. Um, in working from a place of, of abundance, knowing that even within the confines of those boundaries, that I was still safe. I was still okay. And in fact, not only was I okay, I was actually beginning to thrive because I was working within my capacity. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. And I'm going to go into something in a little bit with that, but Camille's experience of this is listening to capacity increased her wealth and even increased her, uh, like you said, your productivity. And so for some of us, it's not always the case, which I'm also going to go into in a little bit to talk about the reality of that. And I've experienced both sides as well. Um, so, so we'll go into that. Yeah. I can jump off from there because I was Please. realizing, um, it's interesting. I was just checking into my, my financials for my business yesterday. And it's so funny because for the last, and I've been checking in periodically, but it's interesting. I don't know when the shift happened because it wasn't like obvious to me, which is part of the cool thing of the slow is like, it felt like integration. I realized that through the work in this group, I've been able to orient to my business and my income and my rates and realize how good they really did feel. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that I've seen mirrored in motherhood and then also now in entrepreneurship is like, <laughs> there's never going to be like a good enough for me. Like there's never going to be the like, or I should say, there's never going to be this like idealistic version of my business or motherhood where I'm like, this is it. I've arrived. <laughs> and the beauty and like the clients I've worked with is like, I've worked with women who have the successful business and they're still dealing with all of this scarcity and all of this, like chasing the carrot. And once I, then I will, right? Like once I achieve this, then I'll slow down. Mm -hmm. Then I'll be present with my kids. Then I'll enjoy my business. And I have realized that like in the beginning, I had this very beginner's mentality. I'm just starting. So anything was like, anything I got was just like prize, right? Like I did it. But then I don't know when the turn shift where I started like taking that carrot and being like, well, now it has to be more. And now it has to be more. 
and this re this year working with this slowness and orienting to capacity and what feels good and my values and what my life actually requires. I've been like, wait, no, like this income right now actually feels really good. Mm -hmm. My pricing actually feels really, really good. Does it match like that desire that I want to be at? No, but also this is good enough and really feeling that in my body. And what's interesting this year financially has been, has felt really spacious the way that I'm paying myself the way that I'm investing in the support for my business, right? Like I hired on a VA that, um, you know, I'm investing more in people who invest in me and my capacity. And I realized I was like, I'm making the same I was last year. And yet last year I had this, like trying to chase the carrot. I had this like constant activation around money. I had this constant pull of, I need more clients. I need more clients. I need to do marketing. I need to do marketing. How do I get these more clients? And it, and it was a very sneaky, right? Like, I think there, mm -hmm. it was one of our last calls where I was like, I'm, so, I'm doing like, I feel so aligned to my body. And then we started talking and I was like, <laughs> I think I'm bullshitting myself and you guys. Yeah. I have not. Someone called doing. you out on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I hear her saying she. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was like, someone else called me out on it. And then I was like, yeah, I'm going to call myself out on this. Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> like I have not felt aligned at all. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. I love that though, because the, like what you and Camille are both bringing in is that piece of urgency. And it's so important to remember somatically, whenever we're in urgency, we're in a stress or a trauma response. And when we already live in those because of our life circumstances or what we've been through, and then we build a business, we build the business from that nervous system that's in urgency, which means we have this constant story of this imagined future when we'll finally get there. That myth of like the place I'm finally going to arrive to. And what we don't realize is what we're actually doing with that is we're practicing not being here. That's what we're doing constantly. So for decades, we're practicing this future place in our mind, which takes us from the present. So we can't fully experience our business now or our rates now or our income now, or even how our body feels with our business now, because we're constantly bypassing it for that future story. Uh, I really appreciate that. What do you think, Janelle? Where does this go for you? Well, I can say without a doubt that I probably during the nine months with you made less. So you said that you've had the experience of having both. But here's the the difference was is that although I was I was making less and creating more space in my schedule, that tending that tending to myself, it felt so it felt so nurturing. And there was so much that my body needed to heal that what I came out like after the nine months was that I noticed that the worrying stopped. Mm. I just want to say that like the worrying that like that, that, that place like that was here and like up here, like in my, in my head and also in my gut, that worrying quieted. Mm. And that was a, that was a bonus that I could not. And so I'm actually mm. not super duper concerned um, because there is enough. And so Camille said my favorite word, the A word, abundance, right? So everything is energy. And I am as practical and also as woo-woo as they come. But 
from an energetic standpoint, from a scientific standpoint, everything is energy. That's right. I am operating from a place where my cup feels full. It is only a matter of time. I'm not even worried. I'm literally not even worried. It is only a matter of time until that I wrote a book for goodness sake, you know, like, so it wasn't like you know what I mean? So totally. there was that, right? So I mean, two, two big things here. Okay. In nine months, you wrote a book and you stopped worrying. <laughs> Those are not small things. To know. That's like, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But I love, I love that you're bringing that in because I, I opened both of your cohorts with this disclaimer. I think even on the website, it says this is not for people who want to make more money because that's, that's not what this is about. I don't care about making more money. I love, I love money. I don't care about making more money. It's like, I care about my body and my happiness. And when I hear you and I imagine like your schedule and you going out and having your toes in the grass and feeling the sun, which is one of my favorite rituals, eating something really nice. Okay, then maybe I'll take a client. It's like I, the, the reality of that is less money because you're taking less clients. And the reality of it is more health, more aliveness, more attuning to nature, being with the spirits, having the, the creativity come into your body from which you work from. So it, to me, it, it's, it, can't, it can't be um, separated. Like the lifestyle and our personal rituals that bring us pleasure and joy can't be separated from how it allows us to show up to the work we do. And so I've had the same experience, especially this last year, where I'll notice a couple hundred dollars less a day, but an hour or two in the sun, like I'll take the hour or two in the sun, right? And I would love to hear more of you. And if you want to add anything else, Janelle, feel free. Love to hear more of you talk about how to navigate the reality of when you make less money because you're listening to your capacity. Well, uh, I, I was like, I can't relate. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I do what I don't re re relate to Janelle. The fact that I still have that, uh, that, that trepidation. Um, so, you know, Janelle birthed the book. I birthed the baby this year. So I knew logically my capacity was going to be different <laughs> this year. Uh, and there was part of me that's like, yeah, I'm, doing, I'm going to turn down work. So I'm going to hang out with my baby. And then there's a part, part of my body that goes, bitch, are you crazy? You're going to turn down money? You don't know if they're going to come back to you next year. You can't do this. That's then great. nobody's going to want to hire you ever. And then there was also the fear because I knew um, she was going to have to have one. And now we know two open heart surgeries. So my schedule is going to be unpredictable. How can I set up um, events or commit myself to things? And then I might have to back out. Oh my gosh, I've set myself up for failure. But I want to come back to what Janelle said. Actually, yes, there's that part of me and I could tend to it. But there's a much bigger part of me. It's just like, and we're still doing good. Mm. Did I make less money than I did last year? Yes, because I took on a significantly less work. And even with taking on significantly less work, my bills are still getting paid. I still have a roof over my head. I still have clothes on my back. My children are eating. I'm able to support Khadija and her medical needs. We are fine. Even in when I am fine, even though I'm taking in less money this year. And not only am I fine, I feel really good. I feel really good in how I'm supporting myself. I'm supporting my daughter. I'm supporting my other children, my husband. I feel really settled in my decision to take on less work and to bring in less money. Mm-hmm. I love that because it's really driving home that reality of when you're here 
wherever here is for everybody, when you're here in your body where you are now, you're able to attune to what's there to support you already. And when you're not here, the first thing your mind and your body is going to attune to is what you wish you had. And that that what I wish I had creates a somatic experience that I have nothing. It like becomes all of you. And you miss all these tiny things like sunlight, like water, like a light switch, like so many tiny things that are so, to me, opulent. You mm -hmm. miss those things. And it takes me back to when I, for years, I worked in health food stores and wellness centers because I didn't have the capacity for private practice. I didn't understand how to do a schedule. I didn't understand how to like have an LLC. Like I didn't, that was so beyond. So I got my my certificate. I did years of training and I just worked in all these different places around New York City. And during those periods and, and upstate New York and during that period of my life, a good six, seven, almost eight years, I had very little income, like such little income, yet I was so attuned to where I was that I never, I never felt poor. I, I don't have one memory of feeling poor. And I, I have memories of realizing I had no money. I didn't realize that until I met other people and they told me what they made. I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, <laughs> but I never actually walked around feeling like I didn't have enough. So I think that's important because it can sound so uh, like privileged and idealistic yeah. to say, follow your capacity, everybody. And some people are like, I'll have to quit my job if I do that. And for some of us, like, yeah, you'll have to. And others will be like, okay, you're not willing to do that yet. What can you do in the meantime? How can you tend, like Janelle, how can you tend your capacity when you get home from the workday? What can you do to get ready for the next day that might not happen because you're so attuned to hating your job kind of thing? So I, Rebecca, you did you have a similar experience? I can't remember. What was your experience of following your capacity? So the the response that's coming up in me is like you you brought that word privilege into it. And I think one of the things I've recognized is there is this feeling like I have to ignore my capacity because there's other people who don't have the option. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is a familiar like practice in my body, if you will, of like. Um, the best way I can think of it is like that terrible thing. A lot of parents said in the nineties of like, if you don't finish your, like there's kids who are starving oh, yeah. for dinner. And I really don't think I noticed it until our group that like, I really came to entrepreneurship with a little bit of that attitude. Like if I, if I have all of this spacious time and capacity, I need to use it working hard or helping others or giving it to other people. Like I just have to give and give and give, um, and so, yeah, it, that, like, that's the response that came up in me when you asked that question. So I don't know if it's like directly responding to that, like where my financials have gone, but I think what's been so fascinating is to see how my business and financials change when I'm no longer operating from that embodiment, mm -hmm. when, mm -hmm. I'm orienting to the clients I do have to using my privilege in a way that is grounded and resourced and not just fawning mm -hmm. like, okay, let me use this space and this privilege that I have yes to serve others, but also to like serve my family, to serve myself, to serve my business and recognizing that like, I don't have to be small or suffer like there is almost this like I need to be in suffering and fear because everybody else is like I was attuning mm -hmm. to other people's dysregulation mm -hmm. 
who didn't have that privilege. So there was, there was this very kind of uncomfortable thing that I've learned. I learned really in our group. I think there was a couple calls where this came up of, am I attuning to the dysregulation of someone else around money, around time, around needs being met, or am I attuning to my life, my body, my business, and really feeling what's happening there because that's the only thing I can touch. And if I'm in tune with that, then I can give and serve and help from a connected place instead of a fawning place, instead of like Mm -hmm. the savior mentality, or even this, like, just like this ucky, like power above or Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't, that's yeah. I love that. I would love to hear more from Camille and Janelle around that because we played with that, like our privilege as entrepreneurs and how we, internalize guilt with that how we overwork to balance that out how we can use it how we can indulge in it and be like well i'm here what am i going to do with it am i going to feel bad about it or am i going to like feel really good and do good with that where do you go with that janelle like how has that impacted you so rebecca you just said two things that just like oh got me right here but i think that i think that the dominant paradigm is so um is so set on us on the fear and suffering part. Like you were talking about the suffering and the fear. And I think even people who are incredibly privileged fall, fall into that paradigm as well. No one, no one gets out of like the like suffering and fear. So what we're doing in this group, I believe is an act of revolution. So it's like revolutionary to, to tell yourself, or not even to tell yourself to embody, I'm going to live outside of what society tells me that I should be doing, which is always grasping, being in this suffering space, always worried, having this fear. So it, it is like an act of revolution to not only slow down, it's an act of revolution to feel your humanity and your messiness and the paradox. Like, so I feel like there's something really, you know, juicy about just exactly what we're talking about. Like subverting paradigms feels like exactly what happens when you come into this group. So, yeah. I feel the exact same way. It feels very revolutionary. I love that you experienced that. And I, I also agree, I, I learned so much of that from my private practice work with people. The, the people who have the most incredible financial privilege or even like lineage privilege where they inherited so many wealth and opportunities, they were no one I worked with was removed from suffering. It's so inherent to think you're supposed to suffer. And uh, whether it was extremely impoverished people or extremely wealthy people. So I love how you say that because that is an internalized systemic thing to think we're supposed to suffer. And just because we're doing well, then there's even like the internal lashing of like, okay, I really need to suffer now because I'm doing well. I'm doing better than my parents did. I can't let them see how happy I am. All these things that come up. Where where do you move with that, Camille? And I know we're getting to, can you two stay a couple minutes longer? Okay, go ahead. Are you getting to Camille? You yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Where do you go with this? Um, so yeah, this idea of 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 privilege and suffering. Um, even before I went into like 
this kind of work when I was still in the corporate space was part of my journey, my obstacle that why am I not happy? I should be happy. I am my ancestor's dream. They could never imagine like I'm sitting up in some pristine office and jet setting, doing presentations. <laughs> and I'm a DEI manager. And I'm telling people don't be racist. Like, oh my God, they're paying you six <laughs> figures to sit up there and tell people don't be racist. Like, and I was miserable. Um, but why, I shouldn't be miserable because this is so easy compared to what my grandparents had to experience compared to to what my ancestors had to experience compared to what other people across the world have to experience i should be happy this is easy and i wasn't um and so then to come into a space where i don't expect life to be easy but i am loving it being easeful there can be that that guilt of oh i am i am living a really easeful life and i can see those around me who aren't um and like many of you you said for me it is the um you know is the is the resistance that is the revolution that is the change is it is questioning the expectation why can't life be easeful why mm. does it have to be hard why is that our our badge of honor mm. and for me what i've really appreciated when coming into this work is when um I'll be walking around my neighborhood and just a random person will stop me and say, excuse me, I see you walking through here all the time. I just had to say, you just always look really calm and happy. I just, I, I look forward to seeing you walk down the street. For me, that that is what sort of lights me up uh, when, when whenever there is that twinge of, of, of guilt. Instead, I really like to tune to the fact that there are people for whom they're looking at us and saying, oh, it is possible. Just like sort of Rebecca was saying earlier, I need someone to teach me and show me. Well, in doing this work in this type of way, we are now showing people, oh, there is an option. You can support yourself and still work within your capacity. You can support yourself and things can be easeful. You can support yourself uh, or you can uh, do things easefully. And it's not about things being easy, but just beginning to show that there is a different way. When you say that, I remember something you had shared in the past about when people say something like, well, if I, for instance, if I follow my capacity and I quit my job, I can't do, I can't quit my job. What they actually mean when they say I can't quit my job is all the things it gives me. If I lose those things, I won't be worthy. I won't be valid. And you said that a big part of the work you did when you left your corporate job, which was a very good predictable paycheck, was you had to get really safe in your body around the idea of like downsizing and moving into an apartment, like for yeah. an example. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big part of Camille's personal somatic spiritual practice. Can I find a place in my body that's completely okay with moving my whole family into a tiny apartment? And she did. Mm -hmm. And when she found that part in her body, that's when the beautiful ego rebirth happens, where this story that says, but you have a house, you can never go back. And then because of that story, we stay going beyond our capacity. We burn out and we toil and we hurt ourselves. If we can get to that place where that inside, what, what did you say when we opened Janelle about the, the card you pulled? What was, tell us what that was. Right. So right before we started this, this call, I pulled the tarot, I pulled dominion and the dominion card is all about, can I find home in myself mm -hmm. it's power over others? Dominion is not power over others. It's not even power over self. It's, can I find domain? Can I find home in myself? And that was the perfect thing to hear upon opening this. Because the, the baseline of my work is safety in yourself, not in others, not in external things, but in yourself. 
And that's what we practice in this practitioner group. So again, Camille is a great example of this. She found safety in herself, not in her paycheck, not in her house, not in her lifestyle. Those things are all amazing. They build her capacity, but that wasn't what her safety was in anymore. Having the safety in herself let her quit her job because she no longer had the threat of the destruction that might come from quitting the job. The, just, the destruction now just became a new transformation and her body would be honored in that new transformation. So I say that because we find that home in self, that dominion, that power in self, not over, but like with self, right? When we have that, there's very little things like the, the dangling carrots don't light us up anymore because we have them all. <laughs> They're all inside of us. And it feels so decadent and delicious that we're not urgently trying to grab and run and get something. And that's something I wish for everyone listening, because the real entrepreneurial privilege is that we don't have to like go uh, into a picket line. We don't have to join a union. We don't have to like beg our boss to give us $2 more, give us five hours less. We can, like Janelle said, be revolutionary in our own entrepreneurial business and expressions and we can shift things like overnight we have that power as entrepreneurs so I, everyone listening who has their own business whether you have employees or it's just you you really have the the power to do that to start feeling well how does my body relate to the work i do and what could change to help my body feel better with the work i do because then that changes the world around you and the people that buy your product or show up with you or work with you all those things start to shift and we've had a blast at HLN the last couple of years, like slowly incorporating all these things. We have eight weeks of vacation now. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I remember it was 2012. I watched a movie with my friend called Where to Invade Next. And it's this documentary where Michael Moore goes into Europe and he talks about, um, he talk, talks to all these different uh, countries in Europe and these people and these business owners around like, what are your work? values what's their culture and everyone across the board got six weeks paid vacation and i remember thinking like i got two days paid vacation at the time like that was the and that was a big deal for me and i remember thinking oh my gosh will i ever get to the point in my life where i can get six weeks of vacation and this year is the first year we're starting eight weeks of vacation and so it's, it's things i would have never thought were possible but we're building our capacity we're learning how to serve the world better and how to be okay with not making as much money sometimes but having more time off and time with our families and even each other at times so i'm just throwing all this out there because you really have the privilege as the entrepreneur not to suffer not to toil not to co-disregulate and match and fall with everyone else's societal expectations but to completely be counterculture to be subversive to do exactly whatever the fuck you want and let people decide if they want to show up to you or not. That's your privilege. And your capacity and your tending to that will help you actually follow that and, and really own it more. So in closing, I would just like everyone to say what's in their body from this whole nine months. What's one thing? I know it's a stupid question because there's like a million things. But what's one thing you could just leave everybody with who who is, would consider doing this with us in January? Mm. So I'm going to quote the Jedi from our group. Her name was Madi. And she, you even said it. You're like, she Madi is the Jedi. The way. word Jedi. <laughs> yes. She's such a word Jedi. <laughs> she had this way of synthesizing like these, you know, these concepts into like these, like these little zingers. 
And so I actually wrote one down and Maddie, wherever you are, I am quoting you. I'm totally giving you props here, but she said, um, receiving what I already have. And that is mind blowing to receive, to really truly be able to receive what you already have. It goes back to what you're saying, Luis, about like the miracle of electricity and the fact that you can turn on your faucet and get a cup of cold water. Um, I think if all of us kind of tuned in to what we already have, that we would live, we would realize that we are living in abundance. And so I, yeah, so I think that will be what I, what I, I think most sort of took in. Yeah, I think of Mar Mari de Luna, wasn't that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Mari, I hope you're listening. If you're not, we'll, we'll let you know that we're giving you props. We're loving you in here. Yeah. Say it one more time, Janelle, so we can all hear it. Oh, yes. So receiving what I already have. Yeah. Everyone, just feel that for a moment before we go on. Receiving what I already have. Like, that's really big. Mm. I need to get Mari's ass on here and do <laughs> do a whole episode just on that. <laughs> I'm just going to write this down right now. <laughs> Thanks for that, know. Rebecca, what comes up in your body? What do you want to unfold for us? I mean, now I'm just sitting in that. I'm like, ooh, yeah. It like makes <laughs> yeah. me want to be in group again. But I I think the big the big things is just being in a space where we're having these conversations, but they're so embodied and just being in a room full of these incredible people who can see you and speak into you. And I think the biggest thing I'm walking away with is I feel like my relationship to my business has healed. Like I, you know, I felt pretty good in my body. Um, but like, there was so many places in my business where like, I could feel the overcouplings. I could, I could like witness it. And I like knew it in my head, but I didn't know it in my body or like, I didn't feel like I had permission to do anything else. And I think that's one of the biggest things that this group gave me is it gave me a lot of permission. And I think it gave me capacity capacity to be able to say like, this is the relationship and the way that I want to be in business. This is the way that I want to be in relationship to this role in my life, to this thing in my life. And also just back to myself, like really attuning back to me. I think there's so much in my business that like in my head, I would have said like, oh, this is based off of me, but it wasn't, it was based off of like old overcouplings or people pleasing or fear or, you know, just these things that I don't think I would have seen without the wisdom of this group, without the wisdom of somatics, without like you and Camille and the teachings and the, and the invitations, like the open invitation to not just know it logically, not to just like tell me the steps, but to like help me create this way to like move in relationship. Like it's not this firm, I have my next steps. There's this like, oh, I know how to move in and through and yeah. Yeah. My relationship to my business is healed. I really love that because that is a big thing that we're working with through the nine months. It's my relationship to my business, not where I want my relationship, my business to be, but what's my actual relationship to it. And it's, it's right there receiving what I have already. It's the same difference. Like, am I even receiving what I have already? Do I even relate to my business 
or am I just obsessed with the story of where it should be or what it should look like? Love that, Rebecca. What about you, Camille? Even as a facilitator, anything you that kind of moved you or transformed something in you from witnessing? What um, one of the things that stood out for me uh, across the two groups were the were those who came to awareness that something in their practice needed to change. And it may have been a change that they were they were fighting for a while. Like, no, 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 this is my brand. This is what I do. And, and, and what really came to light by the end of the, the container um, uh, uh, is that several people were saying, oh, I, something has to shift. I am more than what I, when I, than what I started out as. And now I'm trying to find a way to broaden that that brand and or it's completely completely different than a 180 and i think sometimes that can be that can be really daunting because we think well i've started out as this xyz profession or this is my title or i wrote a book on this so this is my thing but then you know life happens things shift and something else may come into your wheelhouse and do you have the capacity to allow your business to evolve as you are evolving yeah, that's where it was for me too. The the we played with like, well, how does the shape of your business want to change? Mm -hmm. And when we realize, just like Becca's saying, like the relationship to the business, when we realize that it's a relational experience, it's something that shifts as our bones shift, as we age, as we grow, as we hurt, as we have joy, all these things change. And is that shape that the business ones have confining me or is it nurturing me and helping me unfold further? And that's been really powerful for me to continue giving myself and reminding everyone that we have, again, the privilege and the permission as entrepreneurs to constantly change the shape of our business so that it tends to our capacity instead of um, overwhelming, right, and reducing our capacity for the work we do. So I, I want to thank both of you so much for coming on. Uh, do you have, actually, what we'll do is I'll have Evan put a link in the episode details with any of your contact information so people can see the work that you do. Um, I mean, these two, uh, in addition to the other people that aren't with us, have done so much incredible work these last nine months with us. If you love the work Camille and I do, if you love the holistic life navigation method, like and you want to work with them, check them out. They have it in their bones now. They're doing it in their own. It's created their own culture at this point of how they do it. So I would love more people to work with people that went through this experience with us so they can keep getting that embodied, uh, relational, animistic piece around this work. So I thank you all so much. Let's just say goodbye. And I'll see you somewhere, somewhere in the world. That's the end of today's episode. Now let's take a moment to notice where we feel the episode in our bodies. Close your eyes. Take a breath. And let whatever wants to come up, come up. And remember, those sensations hold the wisdom that we're looking for. If you want to go deeper, visit holisticlifenavigation.com. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need 
and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.